and welcome to our first birthday edition of Sounds Jewish. Yes, we've done a whole year of kibbutzing, kvelling and kvetching. And if you don't know what any of that means, stay tuned because we're going to do a whole lot more in this month's podcast. As President-elect Obama inches ever closer to the White House, we take a look at his appointment of a string of high-profile Jews. You've got to pick a pocket or two. Is Fagin too much of an anti-Semitic caricature ever to be let back on the London stage? The sounds of Yiddish twist, the music that shook the morals of the Jewish East End. The reason that it was created was to be exactly that sweaty, dirty version of Jewish culture which hadn't really existed until then. And get ready to play our special Hanukkah board game, I Didn't Know They Were Jewish. Shalom, shalom. And keeping me company in the pod this month, our comedian, writer and actor and Yiddish expert David Schneider, welcome. And the playwright and director Julia Pascal, welcome to you both. Hello. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to you. Is Hanukkah something that fills you with joy or are you, are you envious of the, the other lot's Christmas, Dave? I'm not negative to Hanukkah, I'm, I'm, but I, um, I'm ashamed to say so early in the podcast, I, um, uh, I'm in a mixed relationship, so I do both Hanukkah and Christmas, so everything's fine for me. Yeah, and Julia, do you, will you be lighting the lights? I'm in a mixed relationship too, and I do neither of them, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a mixed relationship too. What are we doing at this point? We like, cancel, cancel the podcast, call off Hanukkah. Anyway, uh, let's come back to the Festival of Lights Hanukkah, which falls around the same time as Christmas. We thought we'd start celebrations earlier, what with it being our first birthday and all. We've really splashed out this month with some of Grodzinski's finest sugar-laced donuts. Do tuck in, ladies well, and gentlemen. Uh, we've already established that neither of us... Me nor Julia eat donuts for various Jewish allergy. Vesemir, let's not go there. It's terrible. You should see what the indigestion is like. It's a lovely thought. Thank you. But I think we might go for... There's some seedless grapes here as well. Seedless is good, so there's no trouble. There's no gas. Uh, uh, our, our producer, our producer uh, Sarah, is lovely, and she, she's like my grandma. She kind of kind of stoops me food and says, look, you need fattening up. So she brings donuts. I'm glad you said food after the stoops me there. <laughs> Absolutely. It'd be the food I mean, you've got to get to work, you know. <laughs> um, I don't eat the donuts either. So shall we pretend that we're like eating? Yeah, okay. Donut? Yeah, here's some so, donut. <laughs> mm, good, good. Brzezinski's. Mm. Well, they can't get a business. Why did you, what's happened to Jewish men, Julia? We used to be kind of big starkers that like had nothing better than big fattening holler. And now look, no, no. I'm a what free. happened to Jewish men? That's what I've been asking myself all my life. All oh, right. Well, look, you have got two here. Indeed. Yeah. See, yes, well. No comment. <laughs> <We've> also, <laughs> we're gorgeous, both of exactly, you. Gorgeous. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Lucky this is audio. Um, now we have got a great Hanukkah game as well uh, that we at Sounds Jewish have been perfecting for a while now. It's called I Didn't Know They Were Jewish. It combines the traditional Hanukkah spinning top or the dreidel, which uh, I've got one here before me. Oh, Julia, you've nicked it here. Spin it over to me. Whoa! It's uh, a little green thing with one, two, three, four... Four, five sides? Four, four sides. Five, four yeah. sides. Okay, can't have five sides. <laughs> you um, carry on counting uh, forever <laughs> if you keep turning it. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. How to confuse a Jew. It's going to be a dull <laughs> yes, podcast. Uh, <laughs> this, there's a, uh, we, we've got the dreidel here, and I've got in front of me here a lavish book. I mean, the sound of that, That's the size of that. It's it called a book. a book of Jews. Yeah. Uh, and it is what it says on the cover, a book of Jews, full of Jews. Look at these Jews. Norman Rosenthal, I would have said he's a Jew. He's also the British Curator and Secretary of the Royal Academy of Art in London. Other Jews we have known, Frank Auerbach, Ronald Kitter, uh, Lucian Freud. Lucian Freud's Jewish? Yeah. Sure, he's, he's a Jewish. Freud. Yes, he's a Freud. With a grandfather like that? Yeah, Larry Rivers, Jerry Judah, artists, everyone, politicians. What we will do is spin the dreidel, uh, and when it lands on the number that's written in Hebrew on there, you will turn to the page and exclaim, Ugh! Oh, I didn't know he was Jewish. Or maybe you did know he was Jewish. Dave, would you like to start things rolling? 
Okay. <laughs> so, so you're saying that we spot the letter that's on the dreidel and we then convert it to its Hebrew numerical equivalent. Exactly. And uh, well, it's a challenge. There's something slightly cabalistic we paying, about it. Yeah, yeah. Madonna has been notified. So I've Gina. got a hay, which is of course children. It's five, isn't it? So, uh, <laughs> what's on page five? Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, get out of here. He goes hunting with a hat and he's... With the, the, I mean, look, he's got a gun on Vips and he he's wrestles people. That's not a Jew. <laughs> Believe me. He he's... has got a Hasidic hat, though. <laughs> so a cowboy uh, the, hat. the uh, Indiana Jones hat is obviously Hasidic. But beyond that... <laughs> um, Julia, would you like to have a little spin of the dreidel, a Hanukkah spin? Nice spin. Nice spin. <laughs> Wonderful. Calvin Klein. Ah. We no. have Ralph yeah. Laurent. Look at all these Jews in fashion. Born Ralph Lipschitz. <laughs> Born Ralph Lipschitz. Ralph yes. Lauren. No, he wouldn't have fit that on a, on a label. <laughs> Are on you wearing a Lipschitz? Yeah. yeah. And the guy, it always surprised me with Ralph Lauren being Jewish. I mean, the, the symbol of the polo player, the horse, the, a less Jewish symbol you could not find. That's right. No, yeah. no Jew would ever play polo. We don't even eat polos. Yeah. They're full of gelatin. They're Maybe not even Prince kosher. Charles is, yeah. is Jewish. I think. Prince Charles is probably polo. Jewish. Let's see if he's in the book. So Let's anyway, see. that's the game starting. We'll come back to that if you can uh, kind of you know keep the, the Hanukkah theme spinning Absolutely. throughout. Uh, and we'll play I Didn't Know They Were Jewish later on in the podcast. In this life, one thing counts in the bank, large amounts. I'm afraid these don't grow on trees. You've got to pick a pocket or two, you've got to pick a pocket or two, boys. You've got to pick a pocket or two. I only need to hear a short burst of that infamous Fagin song from the musical Oliver to feel slightly queasy. Fagin is a walking checklist of Jewish stereotypes, is he not? A crafty moneylender, yes. A hook nose, yes. Stooped side curls and beard, yes. In case you forgot what he looked like, anyone walking around London or just driving behind a bus will now have had a reminder. Posters for the new production at the Theatre Royal feature an illustrated Fagin with the L of Oliver curving exaggeratedly to make it into a huge nose. Plus, there's a publicity poster of the show's star, Rowan Atkinson, with the full Hasidic beard and side curls. Julia, have you seen this poster? I have indeed. It made me cringe. It made me want to throw myself in front of the tree. Is that because you just think, oh, Rowan Atkinson is Fagin? Odd casting. He's not my favourite actor, I have to say. He's always playing vicars as well. That's so I don't right. know how he suddenly got this Fagin Absolutely. role. Absolutely. Maybe Fagin was a Jew and a Jew was a vicar and Rowan is a Jew. No, I mean, I hate it. I hate the whole idea. I don't know why they're doing it. And this just anti-Semitism in English literature being rehashed and pushed out as a great show, it sickens me because to young people it just feeds yet another stereotype Jew. Genoch is genoch. However... I always like to sing a bit of you've got to pick a pocket or two, you've got to do reviewing the situation. As a, as a frustrated young Jewish actor, your dream of playing Fagin, it was the, one of the great roles that you could bring to it. And I think Jewish actors like Anthony Sher, for example, give definitive Shylocks. So uh, there is a sort of a way around that anti-Semitism by making a Jew play the actual Jew. There is a way around, but what do you do with Fagin? What do you do with got to pick a pocket or two? How do you make that into a complex character? Which, which... I think it, I have to disagree with my dear friend, Julia. I think... I think... Uh, having read, uh, read part of the book, the book, I feel, is very difficult to read. It's the Jew this, the Jew that. Oy, oy, it's oy. 257 it's, mentions of the Jew in the first 30 chapters. Right, it's very... Thank you. Um, it's, it's very difficult. That's the, a book of Jews. The, the musical, however, where it's not Jew this, it's not Jew that, mm. um, where Fagin isn't the baddie. It's not like Shylock. Fag, you know, Bill Sykes is the baddie. Fagin is, I think, a slightly more complex character. Um... Uh, and yes, the, uh, he is Jewish, 
we know he's Jewish, but I'm just imagining kids coming out of the um, out of seeing Oliver with appropriate Guardian reading parents <laughs> um, saying, why did he speak in that funny voice? And giving a response that was, you know, there's a historical authenticity there. Uh, and I, although that's obviously very difficult, and I haven't seen the poster yet, and if he is in Hasidic garden and everything, that's awkward. I still think there's the show uh, has merits. I would add to that, I think it would be interesting if, like Othello, it was always played by a Jew, probably by me. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, but the serious point is, I wonder if it should always be played well, by Well, go Jew. on, Dave. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you your wish. I'm going to cast you as Fagin. How would you do it? You've thought about this, clearly. Well, yeah, I have. I, I'm hoping to do the second recast. Not quite high status, status enough to take over from Rowan Atkinson, but I'll be hopefully doing the next one. So everything I say should be coloured with a knowledge of that. But um, the big question is, do you do the accent? Mm. Uh, and um, I, I wouldn't do a big accent, but i do a hint of an accent because there's an authenticity there. Um, but I can imagine that you'd, you'd fight as a Jew. And the reason why you enjoy singing it is because it does tap into that Jewishness. There is, there is a Jewishness that is true about Fagin. We're embarrassed to, to take that outside our little Jewish I might, If I was cast as Tevye in the production of on, if Fiddler on the Roof, I might do a very similar uh, singing of If I Were a Rich Man mm. as well. Which Does that reinforce the stereotype, even though it's a classic Jewish song? I mean, most Jews now are associated with that song. If I were a rich man, you've got to pick a pocket too. They're, they're monetary songs, aren't they? I, yeah, I cringed at that, I have to say. Um, I guess it's the continual Association of Jews and money, and I, I get it very frequently when I'm traveling because when people find out when I, I'm Jewish, I get it all the time. You, uh, particularly in places like France, absolutely smack in your face. You, you control the world. I mean, just outrageous mm. comments about money. And here we are in our nice English way, just reinforcing that. I think let's take a break from it. Let's do something fresh. So what you would say? Let's not let's not do Oliver anymore, or at least yeah. if we did cut Fagin out. No, just let's not do it. Why bother? A, uh, we have so much choice as producers. But Fagin is uh, is in fact the first uh, occurrence in English literature of a Yiddish word because it's uh, an anagram of. Gonif, uh, and uh, Dickens knew this, and so he rearranged the letters and made Fagin there. Now, he is normally an author who's a great humanitarian, great philanthropist. Uh, why do you think he was? He, he's getting lumbered with this uh, kind of accusation now? Well, is it not true that he did, uh, he did regret it and then wrote a positive Jewish character? Yes, in Our Mutual Friend. Yeah, but sadly, no-one made a musical out of that. <laughs> no. So maybe, Julia, that's what you <laughs> that's have to what do, I should is do. make a musical out of the I'll Our go Mutual for Friend. It. Yeah. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's very complex, and, and it says a lot about our reaction as Jews, mm. how we feel about it and how comfortable now, we, we are. Now, we loved Ron Moody playing Fagin, got an Oscar nomination for doing it in the musical. Well, did we love him? Did we? H I people did. loved him. But uh, did Ron Moody overplay it, overdo it? Mm. That's, that's the thing. But he was a sort of, he was a lovable rogue rather than the nastiness of Alec Guinness's character. Yes, oh, no, Who is still a, a monstrous figure. I like his dark heart of that film. I think David Dean's film is absolutely beautiful mm. and stunning. However, I do always have a problem with Alec Guinness, except I see it now as a kind of part of the theatrical tra tradition, like seeing... Uh, uh, Edmund Keane's, uh, not Lear, Edmund Keane's Shylock. You know, they're, they're, they're things that, they're, they're parts that have been essayed by the greats. Uh, and and the, the, our social history is kind of etched in them. It's a problem because we live in England, England, English is our culture, but we're also Jews. So we embrace this culture, this literature, which has these Jewish stereotypes. What do we do? We're torn in half about it. Mm. It's so, whether we can. It's whether we can still. Sta Alec Guinness's staging was of his time, and whether Fagin you can stage of our time, which is a sort of more right-on time, and um, without it breaking. Julia, would that help if you were directing a production? Would you would you definitely cast a Jew as Fagin, and it kind of then you could work on it the two of you, and it be. be an I don't know that you can go two. against the text. I mean, obviously, I did I did it with Shylock, as I did an adaptation of. The Merchant of Venice called the Shylock play. 
where I cast a Jew and we discussed it, no accents, completely assimilated. But Shakespeare allows it. I'm not sure that Dickens allows it. I'm not sure, as David says, if you, if you deviate from the actual spirit of the character, which is deeply interesting, deeply monstrous and deeply anti-Semitic, whether you absolutely castrate the piece. Because mm. Shylock at least has the pleading Hathor-Dew-Eyes yes, speech, which exactly. kind of then opens up to I think he feels sorry for Fagin uh, at the end. Mm. I, don't think he, I, don't think it is de- I don't think he's deeply negative and necessarily deeply anti-Semitic. Uh, I, think, uh, I think there's problems, problem areas, and it's interesting, you know, the, the extract of the music that you... You um, chose. You could have chosen. Cho- chosen. You could have chosen lots of different um, <laughs> songs, but you chose the one about money because that's. Let's get that on the table. So there are problem areas, but I think there is a way of playing it still that is uh, that's sympathetic. I've got to say, I, you know, to, there aren't enough parts for Jewish actors anyway, as Dave will tell you. And you just take one of the ba- one great ones. <laughs> I'm away. doing my best. Are you doing? I'm writing lots of them. I'm I'm writing there's lots Danes of them. everywhere saying, "What next? She's not going to let me play Hamlet." Yeah. <laughs> I'll be he was uh, Jewish. <laughs> take the book. Right, we're going back to. I can't believe they're Jewish, David. It's your turn to spin the dreidel as the leader in this competition. Let's see what we've got here. Uh, ah, uh, Jack Ruby. Uh, Jack Ruby, yeah, yes. Um, who assassinated Lee Harvey Oswald. You know, some people might be proud, I'm not sure. <laughs> and then on the page opposite him, there's Jake Greasy Thumb Guzik, who was a monster, a monster, a mobster. <laughs> and, and, and a, a mo- monster at and the a same monster. time. Um, See the tough Julia? Jews there were? Yeah, yeah. Julia have a little spin of the dreidel, a Hanukkah dreidel. I have to improve my style. Yes. Oh, it's even worse. <laughs> That's... There you go. OK. Take the dreidel where Take it lies. Take the dreidel. Kinky Friedman, my God, who is that? American singer, songwriter, novelist, humorist and former politician. Needs a shave. Needs a shave. Imagine being christened Kinky. Talking of our endless obsession with pointing out Jews in the news, here are some more Jews very much in the news to get those tongues wagging. Ram Emanuel, soon to be President Obama's new Chief of Staff, David Axelrod, Obama's senior advisor, and Larry Summers, top economic advisor, all new appointments to Barack Obama's new team at the White House. Surely conspiracy theorists everywhere will be having a field day. But we should be used to this now, shouldn't we? Ever since the names of Richard Pearl, Paul Wolfowitz and Douglas Fife kept cropping up with alarming regularity when commentators criticised Bush's foreign policy. They were only three of several advisers working in the Bush team, but the way some people went on about it, you could have been forgiven for thinking that they were the dark puppet masters pulling the strings of the entire war on terror. So what will be the reaction, both among Jews themselves and among uh, our critics, to Obama's Jewish advisers? I'm joined on the line now from New York by Jane Eisner, editor of The Forward, the preeminent Jewish American newspaper. Welcome to Sounds Jewish, Jane. Oh, hello. How have, how have American Jews reacted to these appointments? Is there pride in them? Well, I think so. It's always hard to tell because this is such a vast country. I think that there's um, generally been a very strong connection between American Jews and the Democratic Party. And we saw that again in this election where... Uh, we are told about 78% of the Jews who voted voted for Barack Obama. So that connection between Democrats and American Jews uh, persists in very strong numbers. And I think because of that, there was not um, 
anything but an expectation that Jews would play a prominent role in the administration. I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it, because Rahm Emanuel is going to be uh, chief of staff. Will, will he, uh, I think he's an Israeli citizen, isn't he? Will he have some influence on Middle East policy? Well, that's uh, a big question that we have asked ourselves also at the forward. Um, I think that when it comes to Jewish appointments, that's the key one. Uh, it's not to downplay the others um, and their importance in terms of what they can do in the administration. But Emmanuel is, if you will, a Jew of a different sort. Uh, his father was Israeli, fought in the Irgun. He spent summers in Israel as a child, sends his kids to day school, speaks Hebrew well. This is a man who is immersed in the Jewish community here and in Israel, played a role when he was in the Clinton White House uh, during uh, various negotiations with Mideast partners then. So I think he's the person to watch when it comes to what kind of influence he may have uh, in the Middle East discussions and overall. Yeah, he sounds like, he sounds like the top Jew uh, there. There's always got to be one at the top. You're, well, you need yeah. that. And he's also in the role of gatekeeper. I mean, chief of staff is a very, very important role in the White House. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that he necessarily will get involved in foreign or domestic politics, but it would be hard to imagine that he won't play some kind of role, even if it's, if it's more behind the scenes. Uh, now, Jane, we, we, we've been talking uh, sort of about the, the prominence uh, of Jews among Obama's staff, but will that be pointed out by commentators in America in the way that uh, the, the, the way that the, the Bush Jews, the, the neocons were, were often alluded to, that there was a kind of a cabal, if you like, around him, he'd surrounded himself with these Jews. Do you think that will, will become a problem again for uh, Obama? I really don't think so. I think uh, there, were, there are a couple of reasons that why I say that. The first is that, to some degree, the neocons that you refer to were outliers. They didn't represent the bulk of American Jewish opinion, as we saw in this election. So there was something a little bit curious about their prominence and their role. Secondly, the Jews so far that um, President-elect Obama has selected are people that he has been close to for a long time. It's no surprise that a David Axelrod will join him in, in the White House. So I think that there won't be that kind of questioning about why this person is there. He's there because he has a longstanding relationship with a, a man who started out as a highly unlikely candidate and you know won a big election. So I I do not think that there is any surprise that uh, a um, Democratic senator from a large urban city who lives across the street from a synagogue in Chicago would have forged close relationships with smart, powerful Jews and, when elected, want to bring them to the White House. So briefly, how did your newspaper, The Forward, greet the news of Obama's election? What was your, what was your splash? Well, uh, you know, we're a nonprofit newspaper, so give us some money. Are, Is that what you put? Uh, <laughs> no, so we we uh, are not permitted to endorse candidates, uh, and so we didn't get involved in that aspect of the campaign. Certainly, for us, the big story was the sizable percentage of Jews who voted for Obama. You know, Jews were the largest demographic to vote for Obama outside of African Americans, which is sort of stunning. That's incredible. I've got a suggestion for a headline. You could have had my Yiddish Obama. 
You see, that would have worked. You'd have sold thousands of copies, millions, no less. Um, Jane Eisner, uh, I wish you the best of luck in, in then chronicling this, this new future for America in the forward, and, um, and we'll hope to speak to you again in the new year. Happy Hanukkah to you. Thank you so much. Julia and David, you've been listening uh, to Jane uh, from America there. Um, how, how did you always feel about the, the, those kind of very prominent Jews, especially Wolfowitz, who was, uh, you know, his, his name, he's in the Book of Jews. Is Wolfowitz in there? Is there an index? Let's check in our Book of Jews. Paul Wolfowitz, come uh, forward. They've probably torn him out now. He probably was, but it's been... Uh... What I think is very interesting that's come up from this is, is that there was a history of prominent Jews who were helping against the um, uh, apartheid of the South in the 60s and that Jews and blacks worked together very well. And then we had this whole anti-Jewish Farrakhan black explosion. And now I think there's been a return to a, a, a connection between Jewish experience and, and Afro-American experience and, and black experience and that the circle has come. And I find that really very heartening. Yeah, it's interesting. We're, we're leafing through the book of Jews. There is, uh, it's done by um, Wolfowitz. He's not in there. He no, gets, he's, he's not. not he's no. been excised. Uh, but there is also a, a, a black book as well. Well, a book of, of blacks, although it's not so. You know, we can't play. I didn't know he was black because uh, generally well, one can. There's a very small chapter <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in that one. Apparently, Colin Powell speaks uh, fluent Yiddish. Uh, I mean, this might be. I'm now worried. Now it's going. I'm going public with it that yes. it's an urban myth. But apparently, he worked in I don't know a tailor shop or something when he was young, and it was in a very Jewish area, and he picked up Yiddish. Is he is he in our book of Jews? Well, that uh, it would be an amazing Venn diagram if he was both in the book of black and of Jew. But uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Julie, let's go back to our, our Hanukkah game yes. that's been running through uh, running through Indeed. this. this have another spin of the dreidel, if you will. Well, who have you got there? Boris Becker. Hey, Boris Becker. He looks like Boris Becker. He's a wunderkind. I mean, he does. It's true. He looks incredibly Jewish. That blonde hair, <laughs> yeah. that blue eyes. I'm going to marry him. The ability to oh, play no, sport I'm well. Exactly. I mean, he's a Jew. He did squeeze. I must say, he did squeeze into a tight wardrobe in, uh, once, didn't he? Rather famously. Yes, that's um, right. So he, oh, yes, he maximises his use he of did. space. So with, that is a with, very interior decorating kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with, yeah. A, with a black woman, so the Jewish black connection continues. Continues. You see, we we owe much to to Boris. We do indeed. I'm going to have a spin. I'm allowed to spin. Oh, go on. Go, go for it. Enjoy yourself. Have a spin here. Have a spin. What have I got? What letter's that? You've got hey. Hey, Bob. Hey, hey, hey. hey. Ben and Jerry of Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. Oh, that, in a way, that's that not surprising, no, is that's it? that's right. I mean, I mean yeah. I'll eat their products, that yeah. is true. But no, you wouldn't, because you don't do dairy. No, no, no. What's their surnames? Nice Jewish uh, surname? Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield. So it could have been Cohen and Greenfield's yeah. Ice Cream. <laughs> it wouldn't have done so well. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't go with that. <laughs> uh, Dave, it's your turn to spin the dreidel. Spin that dreidel. Uh, there we are. And uh, I've got the hay again. I'll move on five, see what we've got. Yep. Oh, Larry David and Seinfeld. Are like Jewish? This. Really? <laughs> this is worth the money for this book. How much does this book cost anyway? I mean, it is like... It's, a book of the bleeding obvious. It's, it's like, like instead of a sofa bed, it's a sofa book. It's like so huge. It's like sofa so good. It's we'll come back in to the Book of the Jews, uh, published by uh, Boma Books. This is why no Jew will buy the book. It's just too heavy. My back would go, no Jew would buy this. It's too heavy. <laughs> The Book of Hernias. <laughs> That's right. You're listening, as if you couldn't tell, to the Sounds Jewish podcast. Do check out our blog for more details on how to subscribe to this podcast via iTunes. Many of you being Jewish listeners, you will have no idea how to do this. Just press subscribe ask, and it comes. Ask a Gentile to help <laughs> yes. you. And you'll receive Sounds Jewish automatically every month.
that. We've been uh, doing a bit of Yiddish twisting there with our dreidels. Uh, time to move on to the Yiddish Twist Orchestra, a sound that experienced the height of cool over 50 years ago, is experiencing a revival with the formation of the Yiddish Twist Orchestra, a group of musicians commissioned by the Jewish Community Centre for London, our sponsors. They've brought them together uh, in conjunction with musician Lemez Lovash. It combines post-war swing with the distinct sound of the Yiddish Music Hall. Lemez explains here. Sollt sein schwarz wie Originally in London in the 1920s and 30s, there was a very strong Yiddish theatre culture which provided an escape for people living in the pressure cooker environment of Whitechapel and a very densely populated immigrant East End. Yiddish twist grew out of this culture of popular Yiddish theatre songs which everybody knew, everybody had grown up going along to hear. And then when out of the war the swing bands morphed into playing with electric guitars and this whole environment became much more euphoric and much more dance based, they were the two elements that were brought together to make Yiddish twist sound. One of the songs that people might know is by Mir Bisdushen, or I Think You're Swell. Uh, and that was an old Yiddish theatre song which has been done both by the Barry sisters in this American, more kind of swing, vocal harmony style, and then again by Willie Bergman in his full-on sweaty twist version. So it was basically about taking these uh, brand new and very radical instruments that was meant to ruin the morals of anyone who listened to them um, and putting them together with these old chestnuts of Jewish culture was a very, really, really radical thing to do at the time. And I think you can still hear kind of a freshness and an energy and an, a sort of sexiness and an intent in this music, which was definitely there. It was the, the reason that it was created was to be exactly that sweaty, dirty version of Jewish culture which hadn't really existed until then. People tend to think that everything that was interesting in the UK musically was imported from America or... Argentina or, 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 or somewhere else. There were fashions that came in from abroad, especially in terms of Jewish music, there's this perception that everything that's interesting came in from outside. But what I love about this project is, it, is we're, we're looking at what was extremely funky and homegrown. I think the most important thing is that everyone who hears the music really gets into it and people say, so come on, when are you going to do it again? I've, already there's been interest in, from, uh, from festivals and places in Europe about this sound and this story. So I really hope it's going to be the, the beginning of a long twist. 
Oi, that's a mitzvah band there, the Yiddish Twist Orchestra. And see our Sounds Jewish blog for a free download from the Yiddish Twist Orchestra. Free downloads! You can't say fairer than that. Uh, and you can also see where they'll be playing and how you can hire them for mitzvahs, weddings, etc. Now, Dave, you are an expert in Yiddish, aren't you? I saw you kind of humming along there. You knew all the words. Yes. Um, the, the track we heard by Mir Bistu Shain, which uh, by me, you, you're also... Very shine. Thank you very much. Um, it's, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, what does it mean? And what do you think it, it adds? Do you think there's a certain lyricism to, to Yiddish speak? It's it's hard to hard to know because I suppose I'm so steeped in the midst of it now that um, but that I you know I instantly respond. But I think it's it ties in slightly with that feeling that you want to be Fagin or want to perform Jewish. When you hear Yiddish, when you hear Yiddish music, it just taps into something inside you that's uh, you know some ethnic thing. Um, well, I mean, you studied Yiddish, um, yes. as, as did I as well, not as much as you, but um, why did you do it? Well, I come from a, or my mother comes from a Yiddish theatre family, so it's always been around. Um, and although she didn't um, teach me Yiddish, um, so I'm not a maternal Yiddish speaker, I, I learned sort of Oxford Yiddish. I learned yes. Yiddish at Oxford, <laughs> yes. a sort of BBC Yiddish, the Queen's Yiddish. Me too, you could in, call the, it. Uh, in the Smithsonian Institute, I think I did it. Ashmolean Institute. Yeah, Ashmolean, that's yeah. right, yes. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, and I just got very obsessed with it and started doing a PhD and all that stuff. Um, yeah. And does it, do you find it taps it? Because when I, I, you know, it reminds me of my grandfather who was who, who used it occasionally with words but it, it, it kind of kind of anchors me too i suppose that 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 it, east end it, that fagin yeah. yeah it anchors you to the to the past but it also for an, for me personally it's um uh, i'm not particularly zionist i'm not particularly religious um i and it, but it's sensibilities of the yiddish culture that were basically left wing guardian reading if the guardian was around at the time i'm just trying to think what the yiddish for guardian is but uh or something but anyway um so it's that sort of sensibility that i relate to now in, in the present and that's why Yiddish I think and the culture is, speaks to me uh, Now Julie you seem to quite like those those Yiddish songs you were you were bouncing along whatever the Yiddish word for that is um, uh, I know, wrote a play called The Yiddish Queen Lear and it had by Mirbis Duchesne in it and I used a lot of the Yiddish songs and the Barry Sisters were the three daughters of the Queen Lear so I absolutely mm. steeped myself in it. I missed that it. play. You mm. did I, I want to see that. Yeah, yeah let's get a BBC adaptation of it. Absolutely yeah. let's go for it See, yes. that, see that's, that's kind of up yes. to dating you don't need Fagin when you've got the Barry and that, and in a way, that's what I mean, that, that we as, as, as theatre producers and writers and comedians can make our own mm. but by just tapping into that history and making something new but connected to it. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting to see Yiddish having a revival mm. uh, and uh, at least being put on a, a modern pedestal. Is there a, a, an academy, like the French have this kind of border people, the academy, who let in words to the language? And yes. Does Yiddish kind of get updated every now and then? Or uh, is it all the t- well, it, it gets updated spontaneously by the Yiddish speakers, um, but there is a YIVO, which is the... Jewish uh, Yiddish Institute von Wissenschaftlicher something, uh, the, uh, the <laughs> Yiddish Scientific Institute, which which has a standardising um, role. Um, but but you know I've heard um, words. You know there's uh, email is Blitzpost and Schmeckeldeckel. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's a condom. Um, you know so there are words that are all completely that out there. Schmeckeldeckel is uh, literally like something. Well, it's like it's, something a, it's a small cover that that covers your small penis. Unfortunately, there's two diminutives in it, which I, I, doesn't do much for our <laughs> Jewish male <laughs> self, <laughs> yes, uh, ego. But um, it's not the um, size that matters. Is exactly. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the fact that it's covered. Never mind the Vic. Covered and healthy. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but yeah, so there's all sorts of, you know, a keshephon is your mobile phone. Um, you know, so so there is there's a lot of communication in internet and about the internet uh, in Yiddish. It's a it's a living language. Uh, and you and do you, do you update your own sort of personal database of this? 
uh, what, as in my knowledge of... Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not so out there um, nowadays. I'm not, like, if I were uh, in the Yiddish world as much as I used to be, um, speaking Yiddish all the time, then it would be natural that I would be. I mean, obviously, Yiddish is sort of split in two slightly. So you have Hasidic Yiddish, which is developing in a certain way, and then the standardised Yivo um, secular Yiddish, which does have native Yiddish speakers, um, but is the, uh, Schmeckeldeckel, for example, is not like... I don't know what the Hasidim... They, they don't they, use they, them. They wouldn't have them. <laughs> no. so, um, I mean, I was, I was once at a, a, a Yiddish conference where someone used um, a, a Yiddish word for um, woman rabbi, and there was some Hasidim there, and I, I can't remember what the... I, I, it wasn't a Rebetzin, which is the wife right. of a rabbi. So these ultra-Orthodox Jews, so these, uh, these ultra-Orthodox Jews were completely confused by this new word. It was like a rovte or something, like that That was a female rabbi. They just... And it was great to see these two worlds collide, where they... But we were all speaking Yiddish, but the Hasidic word just ground, world just ground to halt <laughs> with this new neologism, a rovte, which <laughs> it wasn't rovte, but that sort of thing. So they had to have a conference about whether that word could be used in this conference. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very Yiddish conference. Yeah. The, the few Yiddish words that people like me know from my grandparents, and, and, the, and I learned German at school, so it's a bit of a mix, but it expresses words that cannot be expressed in English. I try to explain to... When I'm working with young people and teaching, writing, I try and teach chutzpah. They don't know what chutzpah mm. is. Because they, but there is no English word for it. No. And then you say the old joke about the man who killed his parents and then threw himself on the mercy of the court because he was an orphan, and they don't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> because the concept of chutzpah isn't there. Yeah. Um, and there's all these little, you know, where you say you're an idiot in, in English. Yes. It's, oh, there's nether it's thin, and doppets, and there's so many different types of... That's right. Of idiot. That's is, right. Is there. Yeah. So I, I think there's something within, inherently in the language that is a, it is a use for humour, and it is a, a, yeah. a use for kind of... But then again, you, you see, I feel now, oh, I shouldn't have done the idiot example, I should have done the God example, because there's also hundreds of different words for God, which isn't humour, but it does show the different relationships, yes. whereas we would say God, there's Rabboni Shaloylam and Deboira and Gotinu Tatnu, there's all these different, mm. depending on how you feel yeah. to yeah, God absolutely. at that moment. Well, just in, as an in Inuit, there are 50 words for snow. Uh, of, that, of that which there is an abundance, gods and idiots, I think uh, we, we fall somewhere between here on, that <laughs> uh, sounds Jewish, uh, very much uh, earthbound we are here. Um, now, that discussion of Yiddish brings us to a warm and fuzzy feeling. Uh, it's not Christmas cheer, it must be Hanukkah cheer, I think. The shops are chiming with naff Christmas songs, nevertheless. So we thought here on Sounds Jewish we shall repost that with some Hanukkah spirit of our own. Do we have any? Yes, because Borat composer Aaron Baron Cohen, yes, he is the brother of Sasha Baron Cohen, has come up with a new record, Songs in the Key of Hanukkah. Obviously uh, riffing on Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life there, it combines the traditional melodies of Hanukkah with 21st century sound, mixing klezmer with hip-hop, electronica and rap. So, Songs in the Key of Hanukkah has just been released, and to play us out is one of the tracks on the CD, Dreidel, featuring Jules Brooks and rapper Why Love. Thanks to my guests, Dave Schneider and Julia Pascal, and to our sponsors, the Jewish Community Centre for London. From me, Jason Solomons, and my producer, Sarah Peters, goodbye and happy Hanukkah. Keep dreidling.